This is the Horse Radio Network. What a beautiful day for horses in the morning. You are listening to the number one horse podcast in the world. Here's your entertaining look at the horse world and the people in it. This is Coach Jen from Ocala, Florida. And I am Tara Tibbetts coming to you from not hot and balmy any longer, Fort Worth, Texas. (laughs) And you are listening to the monthly fox hunting episode of Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for a glorious September 17th, 2020. We're excited to get closer to the end of this year. Episode 2521. Good morning, Horse World. This is our special fox hunting episode. We come to you the third Thursday of every month. So if you are a fox hunting aficionado or you're looking to learn more about fox hunting and or maybe even just find a fox hunt in your area, be sure and check in with us on the third Thursday of every month. We love to have you. What you been up to, girl? Is it is it fox hunting time yet in your part of the woods? You know, Texas is kind of a, a weird we go from like summer to basically the start of fox hunting season pretty quickly. Although I will say the weather lately has been fairly delightful. Lows in the sixties, highs in the eighties. It's usually closer to the nineties. Yeah. (laughs) But, um, most like Brazos Valley cubbing doesn't, doesn't look like it's going to start until mid to late October, just kind of obviously depending on weather. And I've been getting Simon, my, nearly perfect six-year-old off the track thoroughbred getting him legged up because we actually will be going back to Burwell uh, and the end of this month last year it was a hound trials this year it's just kind of a hunt gathering Mm -hmm. and so we're excited to go back and see all of our friends and we'll hunt I think we hunt three days and then there's one day of trail riding so that particular fixture so Hosted by North Hills Hunt, which is kind of sort of based out of Omaha area, Nebraska. Mm-hmm. And they, Burwell is not like a regular fixture for them. It's kind of a special destination. I think they go go there two or three times a season because it's a ways away from even Omaha. And ironically, I didn't realize this last year when I went. It's much closer to my hometown in Montana than it is to where I live in Texas. Oh, and wow. So- <laughs> I, I told my mom when I visited uh, in in June, July, I was like, y'all should just come down and see me when I'm in Burwell. Um, but the footing there, like if you're ever, if you live in that neck of the woods and you're feeling like going to Fox Hunt, like there's always three flights, which is great. So you can do Hilltop. Um, second flight doesn't jump, but they gallop. And then first flight jumps and keeps up with the Huntsman. But it's like somebody like turned the whole area of that state into the most perfect sandy arena to fox hunt in. Like you could probably fox hunt your horse barefoot if it has decent feet because so, the footing so is so it just amazing. Has that, that soil that's the perfect amount of sand in it to Yes. Good, oh wow. It's not like boggy or sticky. Like even if it rains, it it's got really good drainage and and it's kind of rolling. There's, I don't remember there being any rocks when we were there last year. So it's, and I think I, I I think I talked about it last year. The only time in my life I've ever ridden on a beach, like a true sandy beach on water, is in Nebraska. We 
wait a minute. How can you do that in Nebraska? Hold on. <laughs> I don't know the name of the lake that it's that we go trail riding by, but it's it's close to one of the fixtures where we hunt, and it is. It is a full on sandy beach. And when we were rode on it last year, it was, it was fairly chilly and kind of breezy, but it looked more like if you look at the photographs, it looks like you're riding on a beach in Washington or Oregon before the wildfires. But cause it's, everyone's wearing coats and, and windbreakers and whatnot, but it is, I mean, sandy, beautiful. We galloped. It was amazing. I went riding on the beach in Nebraska. What's wrong with this statement? <laughs> right. <laughs> Who and I live thought? in Texas. Like I, I live closer. You know, I should be riding on the beach at Galveston or Padre or something. Haven't done that. Yeah. Well, I, I don't think there are a lot of places anymore where you're allowed to ride your horse on the beach. That's probably it's in the United States. Especially. In the United States, because beachfront property, if there's an actual beach with actual sand, is almost universally either commercialized or right. protected, and you're not allowed to ride a horse on it because it's protected beach land that they're trying to keep the hoof prints off of so right it's kind of special when you get to ride on a beach of any sort even if it's a lake in nebraska it, it's i would say it's kind of you know it burwell from what i understand it's kind of a hunter's destination i think they have a lot of bird hunters that come in there but there's a lot of folks who have vacation homes in the area because they're really while it's not like mountainous or whatever it's a pretty beautiful area so I, it's, I always, I'm, I'm excited. I imagine Burwell is going to be a part of my repertoire for many Forever, years. Yes. Uh, it's, you're, yeah. you're in, it's, you're, you're yeah. in, it's part of your, it's part of your yearly uh, routine. So speaking of yearly routines, I have a quiz yes. question for Tara Tibbetts. We, I have, have answers. You have answers. We talk a lot about hunting season and cubbing season and off season and, um, walking of the puppy hounds and doing all these different things. Give me kind of a 30,000 foot view of the yearly cycle of a hunt club. How do things go? Start me out in January. Well, don't do January because the fiscal year <laughs> for a hunt club doesn't start at the beginning of the year. What would you consider the beginning of a new year of your typical hunt club in the United States? Yeah, and I actually can answer that really easily because I've signed a couple of release forms for hunt seasons for a couple of different hunts than where I'm going in the next month or two. And most of them are August 1 to August 1. So, so August is basically a beginning of the new year. What is going on at a hunt club typically in that time of year, the August time of year? What's happening? So... It varies very, very slightly on geography and climate, but more or less, you've got a lot of, you know, summers can be kind of challenging, so to speak, for hunts to keep members involved and engaged because they're not necessarily obviously going out and riding to hounds and hunting. So it's a lot of walking out the hounds and working with puppies and fixing jumps where they hunt and landowner relations and a lot of them will do some more casual social activities. Uh, it's more of a fellowship time and a, a building the foundation time so that when you get to the fall, which is when most hunts start doing what, what the MFHA now refers to as autumn hunting. So autumn hunting is the beginning of mounted activities in earnest. Yes. Okay. And, and that's traditionally, be your September October time. Yes. September. Yeah. Yeah. 
the very northern climates, like you'll see the the Canadian or depending, you know, if we have listeners in like the far north area, um, some of those hunts will start doing the autumn hunting type activities in August, just because a, a lot some of those hunts will shut down entirely in the really cold months. So As they'll was get, the case in Massachusetts when I was at Myopia, the hot fox yes. hunting in earnest was really in full full cry by September just because the end of the season was January 1st because place is frozen solid. So you've got August, everything's keeping cut. You're, you're building relationships with landowners. You're repairing fences. You're making sure the puppies are, have been walked properly. Yeah. So you'll, you know, they tell you to start, like I started working on conditioning Simon. I, I think I gave myself eight weeks which he doesn't, I didn't like give him the summer off. We've been trail riding all summer, but I've started working on like, um, endurance and the ability, you know, cause he's going to need to go out and burwell for two or three hours at a time. So in August is when I start really getting him fit and autumn hunting will start then, you know, some places, September, October, and the autumn hunting is really focused on maybe new members getting accustomed to the hunting or they'll enter the the new young hounds. So it's entering being you, that that means they're bringing the younger hounds or new hounds to the pack out and hunting them in such a fashion as to get them comfortable with their new job in their new locale. Right. And they're training. And a lot of times though, the huntsman will bring out a group of young hounds and then a group of very mature hounds gotcha. to kind of, teach the youngsters, yes. you know, cause they hunt as a pack. So they'll generally follow the leaders. And it is always interesting to watch if you're close enough, um, to see the older hounds kind of schooling the young hounds, like never ceases to amaze me how the mature hounds teach the youngsters. It's just incredible oh. to watch them. It really is. And I, you know, we, a few episodes back, we had Rita Mae Brown on and she, nobody has done a better job with her books than with her and her books of giving a, a like a, a, a voice anthropomorph anthropomorphizing those hounds. And I can't help but when I'm around, I'm just kind of imagining what the older what hounds are saying about, to the younger yeah. hounds. <laughs> <laughs> so October fo fox hunting is happening. When would you say that the, um, high season starts? What, what in the fox hunting, community you might call formal season really gets rolling typically well so and just to to go backwards just a second the one thing about autumn hunting and i think that a lot of our listeners like this is the question i see the most like in the in the auditors group or on fox hunters on facebook so autumn hunting is informal attire so brown boots tweed coats tan breeches, um, and colorful vests or colorful shirts with stock ties so it's a little more you get to have a little fun with your outfit. Yeah. Yes. So <laughs> especially in Great Britain, they really go to town during, yes. during informal yeah. season. Yeah. And there are some beautiful tweed yeah. coats out there. If you're a person who enjoys equestrian fashion, fox hunting could be your sport. Don't let the, yes. let the, the rules and regs of fox hunting that say you must wear a black Milton coat fool you. If you want to, if you want to enjoy equestrian fashion, go out early in the season during the informal part of the season yes. and you can just have a high old time. <laughs> and even if you're not a rider and you just want to go out and socialize, you'll see a lot of folks who are there like helping with the meal or 
doing, you know, helping with the stirrup cup who are not riders. They just want to come for the social aspect and they'll be wearing just stunning tweed coats. Oh, it's and, gorgeous. Had a lot of yes, fun with that up in myopia. We, because it's cold enough to oh, wear all that tweed. Yes. <laughs> Definitely. Like here, you're more likely to wear like a linen coat, which well, is kind yeah, of a thing. Well, yeah, in Florida, unless they make a a tweed patterned technical fabric, we're not going to be wearing it. <laughs> right. Right. So most hunts have their opening, which opening is kind of the inauguration for formal hunt season. And the vast majority of hunts that I'm I've been hunting with or that know about usually do their opening the first or second weekend in November. And that's always, you know, we've had a few guests on talk about, um, like Ep from Bell Mead. They've got a pretty, pretty fancy opening hunt and it's a lot of pump and circumstance and horses manes are braided and everyone's wearing their best attire and a lot of tradition at a lot of different hunts that goes along with opening. And then generally the rest of the season, the weekends are almost always formal hunting attire, but I know there are a lot of hunts who their weekday hunts sometimes are what they call informal attire, which is when you can wear autumn hunting, like tweed yes, coats and those round, types yeah, of, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And that usually goes through February or March. Again, the, the far Northern climates are a little, they, they quit a little bit. Soon. A little shorter, then also, yeah. Yes. And then also in the winter, usually in January and February is when hunts have their hunt ball. Again, is, if you enjoy fashion, Yes. It doesn't get much better. Yeah. It's the, the, the hunt ball is the equestrian's version of the Oscars. You, get, you get that dressed true. up. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's, and some, you know, I will say though, there's some hunts who, I think we had, um, Nancy is a master at, as Kozla drone and they don't do a hunt ball every year. And they oftentimes will do kind of, I don't want to say silly, but more like costumey type fun hunt they, ball they, events. They go for the theme thing. They'll have a yes. What do they call it? Um, I don't want to. It's not a costume ball, but yeah, they they're very into the theming versus yes. a formal ball every year. And I imagine across the country that would be something fun to put out there into the podcasting universe. If your hunt or a hunt you're associated with, or a hunt your friend is associated with, does something really fun and interesting for their hunt ball we want to hear about it yeah definitely yeah because it it does make it you know a lot of people like fox hunting for the pomp and circumstance but i think that fox hunts are evolving to accommodate the the folks you know where they are so that they can stay fun and relevant and you know depending on the membership that they have and i think that's what's wonderful about fox hunting yeah exactly there so along about the new year is when the hunt ball starts and then Yep. At least the hunts I have been associated with over the years, there's often a short break right around that time where a week or two there might not be hunting because oftentimes people who run those hunts or landowners are busy with holiday things or the footing, not the weather, but the footing yeah. becomes footing. inappropriate for riding on because frozen icy ground regardless of the temperature is really not appropriate for riding on and a lot a lot of fox hunts are much much more careful about that sort of thing than they were a generation or two ago it used to be oh just get on with it and if you fall off you fall off but nowadays right. if the foot if the ground underfoot is treacherous it's likely that there will be no hunt so you have your hunt ball maybe there's a break because of weather and then what come what starts to happen come march or so 
So usually most hunts will have a closing hunt and that it's somewhat similar with tradition and whatnot as opening, but not quite as formal. A lot of hunts will give out awards or have some type of a special meal or whatnot. And that's usually, like I said, kind of, you know, February, March, I don't think many go into April. And so that's the conclusion of mountain hunt season. And not all hunts, but a sig- definitely Brazos Valley. Um, that's kind of the, the highlight of the season for our master, our huntsman and master is hound show season. So that and so, follows closing. Yes. Okay. So the hound shows start usually, well, no, I, they start in April and I don't, I'm, I'll probably miss a couple. Like I know there's, there's one here in Texas that we put on. There's one in Kansas. There's one, I believe in Florida. There's one, the, there's one in Pennsylvania. I don't think there's any West coast, um, hound shows. And then there's the culmination of kind of like the be all end all of hound shows in the United States is the Virginia Hound Show, which is always the Sunday of Memorial Day weekend. So that's the la- that's the the championship of the season, so to speak. That's the one everybody yes. wants to go to. Yes, and and you know we've had guests and we've talked about the Virginia Hound Show. It's it's very much a gathering of, of beautiful hounds, of course, but also you know that's where huntsmen go and mingle with one another and they you know exchange hounds or talk about bloodlines well, there's or, a lot of business that goes on there really yes yeah yes yeah it's 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 what it's i think maybe the fox hunting's version of the annual convention 100 <laughs> percent. yes yeah. very and again that's something if you enjoy the canine species I would recommend going to a good hound show sometimes because it's very, very different than a dog show that you would see from the AKC. Right. Nothing. Yeah. Completely different animal. Yeah. And, and I will say, you know, having, we've hosted the Southwest hound show or Sandy's hosted the Southwest hound show for many years. And I've acted as the show secretary quite a few times and we always get pretty impressive judges and they're usually from, um, you know, Jordan Hicks, who's with Middleburg, I think, and John Carl, who was a former huntsman at uh, maybe Keswick or Middleburg. But we've had some really, really wonderful huntsmen from different hunts come and act as our hound show judge. And they always do, we always do a dinner on the Saturday evening before the, or Friday evening the hound, before the hound show on Sunday. And honestly, that's been when I've learned some of the most I've ever learned about just hounds and hunting and you know, how that particular huntsman that, you know, John Tabachka has actually been here before, um, how they lead their hounds and train their hounds and, you know, what their terrain is like. And it's once you've hunted a couple of seasons and you get more interested in the hound perspective, because I feel like when you're first learning, you're just trying to figure out how to ride in the hunt field and be appropriate. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And then as you get more knowledgeable about the hounds and that becomes more interesting, I think the hound shows are a really good opportunity to really learn about Because it is like watching a pack of hounds hunt is the most beautiful thing. Mm -hmm. It's it's a unique thing here in the United States because um, so few of us, unless you're involved with um, dogs that do working careers like herding dogs or hunting dogs or scent hounds that track people like bloodhounds or something like that. So few of us get to watch dogs work. And and the foxhound is is unique in the United States in that they work as a pack together. 
So again, yes. I can't recommend it enough. Take take it in if you can in person sometime. Um, put on your best fanciest country duds and go have a good time with it. So you've got in the early spring and springtime, we've got hound show season. Are there other things going on behind the scenes at a fox hunt during that time of year that that your average Joe wouldn't even notice going on? Absolutely. So, you know, obviously behind the scenes year round, the masters are in, in very, you know, hunts have different numbers of masters. Most hunts I've, I've been introduced to have usually three, but there's a lot of landowner relations and member relations and they're always trying to grow the membership and all of those things. But you know, there, there do also events happening like hunter paces and hunter paces are, I've actually never participated in one because there's really never been one close to me. That was a weekend I was available, but they, they kind of set basically a course and you can jump or not jump and you go and you ride this course and you want to get into the optimum time. So you don't want to go, it's not a race. It's not whoever goes around the fastest wins. It's whoever gets closest to the optimum time wins. And it's just a wonderful they, And there's been a lot of hunter paces during Corona just cause it's a good way to get out and do stuff and be social without, um, being in close quarters. Right. Go out and have a good time on their horses and help the fox hunt pay the dog food bill. And it's kind of a good way to, to meet fox hunters and to meet the people who do it and kind of get exposed without, obviously without the hounds. Cause the, I think the hounds are one of the more um, significant things that you have to accust- get your horse um, accustomed to. So yes. it's again, very unique. So we've got springtime fox, ha- fox hound shows, hunter paces are happening. Some hunt clubs also, in addition to hunter paces will have called what are called hunter trials and hunter yes. trials are basically, old school show hunter shows the way they used to be in the 1940s is what it boils down to. Is it kind of like a um, horse trials? It's, it's, it's more akin to a hunter show really. Okay. Yeah. They have class. They have, it's, it's, it's organized very similar to a hunter show, but the classes are all geared toward, toward horses who hunt in the hunt field, but that's the closest thing. So if, if you're someone who, wants to dip their pinky toe into fox hunting, a hunter trials might be a fun thing to experience first. If you're familiar with hunter jumper shows, that's going to be more familiar than any, than a hunter pace or a fox hunt would be. Interesting. That's a, cause there's just, there's not, there's not a ton of those around Texas. And, um, I keep meaning to to get out a little bit more, but I, I mean, I think the closest ones um, for me would be maybe Oklahoma, but probably oh, wow. Kansas. They're pretty common on the East Coast, where I did most of yes. my hunting as a as a youth. There were a lot of hunter paces, but also we had a lot of people who participated in fox hunting who were also hunter jumper riders. It kind of went together. Yeah, and um, it's nice for the organizers again because this is another thing they do for both building community and paying the dog food bill. Uh, right. You can put on a lot of classes, have a lot of entries in a relatively small space because it's run like a hunter show. And if you've got a 20 acre field, you've got enough room because you just basically need to make an arena area and an open jumping course where it can just be a hunter course basically in a field. I love it. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. So now we've got hunter paces and 
Hunter trials going on. When do things wind into the next phase during the season, during the year? Like to start for the next hunt season? Yeah. So, so do the, do the hunter paces kind of go through the summer months when, when riding weather is still appropriate and that takes us back to August again? I think obviously again, it goes back to climate. And so a lot of hunts that I'm, and I'm in a ton of different Facebook groups for different hunts, really all over the country. A lot of hunts spend the summer months, the like June, July, maybe a little bit of August, trail riding, working with hounds, um, you know, different deterrent, you know, depending on what level of involvement, you know, Mm -hmm. members have with the hunt. Cause that's the one thing is it is a year round sport for sure, but people, you know, with small children or whatever, they might have summer camps and activities and whatnot, and they're not as available in the summertime. And so Mm -hmm. I think the summertime is kind of a, it's a calmer, like not everyone is really doing stuff in Mm -hmm. the summertime. Um, but most hunts are trying to keep their members engaged and maybe are having social activities or play days or, you know, we've always in the summertime done a couple trail rides and some play days and such um, just to kind of keep in touch with each other. And then, you know, come August, September, then things start kind of picking up and people are getting horses conditioned and, and you just kind of start the cycle over again. It starts it all over again. Well, there you go. There you have a year in the life of a fox hunting club. Ta-da! Absolutely. There we go. Well, I think it's time for us to jump into our first guest. So I'm, I'm super excited. I, you know, we we mentioned this Facebook group pretty frequently, and we had the founder of the group on the podcast a few episodes ago. But I saw a really fun post recently from our guest Jaina Now Sloan, who she and her husband recently got married on horseback and the post was in the Fox hunters on Facebook group. And so Jaina, let's start with, I believe y'all and, and tell us if it's you and your husband or just one of you who are involved with, I believe green Creek hounds and then how this all came about. Uh, both of us have been hunting with green Creek. I've been hunting with them. This is my 22nd season. Oh, wow. And And then uh, Paul and I met almost four years ago. He had never been on a horse before, started road whipping with my dad. And after a few times of that, he said, I want to ride. I want to do this. So he has been hunting. This is, is this your third, third and a half Mm -hmm. season? Yeah. Yeah. So he learned to ride and started hunting right away, got totally hooked. And now he rides second flight. And it just went from there. <laughs> that is really impressive. I, um, Jen and I both have spouses who are mine, I would say is maybe a little bit begrudgingly horsey. Jen's husband has a pony he drives. So he's a little bit more involved, but that's to go from zero to fox hunting is impressive. So hey, had uh, he had it written in at your all 50. previously? <laughs> no, uh, he learned to ride, um, and hunt with me at, 55. 55. Oh, that's yep. so cool. And he's so, learning to jump now. Too. <laughs> awesome. And that's a, I actually, um, a friend and I went and visited, we were at, we went to the world equestrian games at Tryon, and I kind of, I, I contacted a few folks I knew from the area, from the Fox hunting world and got connected. And we road whipped with Don West with Tryon. And then we mm-hmm. road whipped with, 
Green Creek, and I can't remember who we rode with terribly, but it was been a few years ago. But then we also were able to, I rode a member's horse, one of the former master's horse, and then my friend rode one of your huntsman's horse during a, um, an autumn hunt. So I dearly love Green Creek and think it's a really fun hunt with some really fun folks. Yeah, and both BJ um, Jeffries, our master, and Anna Dalton and their spouses came with us um, to the campground in Virginia to get married. Um, and Paul thought so it'd be us. really fun to do it on horseback. Yeah, horseback tell us, how with did this horses. all come about with the, with the horseback wedding? I think this is so delightful. Well, we decided we wanted to go camping, and we heard about this um, really cool campground, uh, Iron Mountain Horse Camp in Virginia, which wasn't too bad a drive for us. And it kind of snowballed from there. And several hunt members brought their horses up and came with us. And we just decided that'd be a fun time to get married because we could do it outdoors uh, with very few people. Uh, and we just, everybody camped out. We brought food. We got a justice piece to come out and do it in the field. And the one nice thing with hunt horses, they're so used to everything um, <laughs> that True. they were just like, this is no big deal. <laughs> and and um, there was a total of 14 of us. And it was just really easy and really fun. And Jackson, my horse, didn't even mind having flowers all over his reins and things. And Aww. he just said, okay. <laughs> so so that, that was, this was not the first marriage for us. So we just wanted it to, to be simple and fun. And, well, and, I think, and the horse you know, you- the horses were good. Yeah. Oh, they're perfect. They could not have been better. Although my horse did try to eat all the um, papers in the justice piece hand during the ceremony. He was sure there was treats in there. So that is <laughs> and he kept losing his place. But um, yeah, we just had a, a great time. Like I say, we had ridden a little over 10 miles that morning beforehand too so they were a little tired which That's probably didn't help idea. any i mean hurt yeah. any <laughs> so so uh yeah they were they were perfect they could not have been better behaved and so, so for the ceremony was, just just you and paul were horseback right yeah we decided we talked about it and and I told everybody that'd be a lot of work for just a few minutes <laughs> for yes. everybody to get back packed up and um it was just a real brief ceremony, but it was what we wanted, and and it was fun, and we got some really nice pictures, and then we had a big barbecue afterwards. So, oh, wonderful. <laughs> was, yeah, and it was outside in perfect weather, and it was just really, we couldn't ask for anything to be better. Yeah, it was good. Well, yeah, I, I think that we, it's so, you know... Well, first of all, I will point out too, and I think that, and I, you know, I highly recommend this to to all brides. Like you didn't do a big flowy dress. You you wore riding more like riding clothes, which and it looked Aww, beautiful. Come and on, she didn't well, wear I the dress flowy, that covered no, the entire I, acreage. <laughs> right, I had a friend offer her side saddle and and every and I said, oh no, I am not going there. <laughs> but no, we wanted it to be safe. The weird thing was. I think it's the first time in about 30 years I got on a horse without a helmet. Oh, so yeah. I was very nervous about that. We did not have helmets on, but only for a few minutes <laughs> 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 because I'm, I'm, oh, we're both very hardcore about 
having helmets on, but I thought, okay, we're going to live dangerously for about 20 minutes. (laughs) And all we did was walk. (laughs) Well, and tell us a little bit about your horses. Uh, They are both um, off the track thoroughbreds. Lovely. We uh, love those. Yeah. And they are both 19 years old. Oh, yeah. And we ended up with them through a friend uh, because Paul learned to ride on a little Missouri Foxtrotter. And when he uh, outgrew her ability-wise, and and we moved her on to another uh, junior fox hunter. She she was 15 hands. And I'm six too, so she. Oh yeah. I looked a little bit odd on her. <laughs> but she took yeah. good care of him. She, <laughs> she was a great horse. And he learned to ride. And so a friend of ours knew we were looking for something for Paul to advance on, and she had a the one that was looking to still stay in work. So we got Rosebud, who is a boy, Aww. and that's Paul's horse. And he took right to fox hunting. He's awesome. He's really fun. And he takes good care of Paul most most of the time. <laughs> and, and uh and then my mare that I've hunted for the last seventeen years had an injury and had to be laid off for about a year. She's twenty four now and going back oh, wow. to work. Cause she's That's all impressive. she's ready and ready to go back. But in the meantime, uh and the same friend found Jackson for me and he was an eventer that was not being used anymore and he loves being in the hunt field and i lead second flight on him now for green creek oh wow so you have these beautiful lovely horses and now you're you're happy newlyweds second flight so what does the hunt season look like for y'all i know some hunts are kind of uh making some changes to their plans to accommodate the as i call it corona apocalypse situation so what what does your hunt season look like well, we've uh, we're going out. We do require masks the the whole time you're there, um, just for you know to comply with with the safety things. Where if we do have any uh, social things, we do them outside. Everybody brings their own everything. There's no stirrup cups before we start. Right. <laughs> um, uh, no sharing flasks, uh, things like that. But hunt season is is starting off well. Right now, we're just cubbing and going out. We went out yesterday in the rain and the mud um, for a couple of oh, hours. Uh, you know, we're just taking things as they come. Our masters are very good on staying on top of everything with our landowners. And, uh, you know, we're trying to just keep things going as best we can. Wonderful. And, and Paul, who I know is in the background there, um, you're planning to start jumping and moving in second flight at Green Creek jumps. Is that correct? Yeah. Uh, second flight is optional jumping. Um, okay. I did, I did go, uh, first flight one time because I didn't think they were going to jump and because it was so muddy, but they ended up jumping. So I, uh, I got initiated into jumping the hard way. <laughs> <laughs> No, no spills or anything, though. No, no. I, 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 that that day I made all the all the jumps. Uh, luckily, I had you know uh, Rosebud's a uh, pretty darn good horse, and he took care of me. Good. Yeah. So Paul's he got initiated quickly into 
everything. <laughs> Sounds like it. Billion with me. Yeah, my whole family has always had horses and ridden. And so once he started dating me, he didn't have a choice. So <laughs> Right. Fortunately, he took right to it and he was very athletic and just picked it up really fast. Oh, that's, I mean, and especially to come to it, you know, kind of more mid, mid later life, like I, I'm absolutely beyond impressed. So it was so fun chatting with y'all today and, and getting to hear about and celebrate your special occasion. Thank you so much. This was fun. In 2006, Daily Dose Equine was founded by Janet Geyer when she was searching for better feed options for her own horses and couldn't find them. Today, Daily Dose Equine's seven different feed and forage balance formulas provide all types of horses with the quality nutrients they need, but none of the fillers or additives they don't. Daily Dose is made with non-GMO ingredients. You won't find any wheat middlings or distillers grains in Daily Dose Equine formulas. Plus, feeds are flame-roasted to improve digestibility, lower NSCs, and eliminate mold, bacteria, and other contaminants. You can learn more about Daily Dose Equine at DailyDoseEquine.com. And Daily Dose Equine feeds and forage balancers are available nationwide through Chewy.com. So the term of the month. So last week we talked about the field master. So, or last week, last month we talked about the field master. So this time we're going to talk about what is the field. So the field is the term that is used to just describe what constitutes all the person who are hunting on a certain day. So every you know, and, and you'll hear different, um, Fields spoken about, first field, second field, or sometimes they're called first flight, second flight, or hilltoppers. But it's just everyone riding behind the huntsman going along for the hunt. And so I got my definition from Bridal Spur Hunt again. I think they've got a really wonderful terms website. And they say that you the, you should be, if you're in the field, you should be in control of your horse at all times. And if you experience any difficulties that would require you to leave the field, Examples being your horse loses a shoe, a piece of tack breaks, your horse is out of control or tired, that you would advise a member of the field or preferably the field master, who we talked about last time, that you're going to lead the field and they'll usually give you directions. Um, And when you're riding in the hunting field, and this is um, as a girl, woman who I think all of the report cards I ever got until I was getting A's and B's and C's and D's on my report card, they all said talks too much. Um, <laughs> when you're in the hunting field, you're asked to be as quiet as possible so that you're not disturbing the field master, the huntsman who's listening to the hounds, obviously. And quite frankly, the hounds. So, cause they're trained to listen to the huntsman. And if they hear you jabbering, it can be distracting. And, at a check or a stop when the hounds lose scent or it's sometimes if you're at a drag hunt, they have specific places marked for a check, which is again, a stop. The field will often engage in conversation, which it can make it a little bit distracting. But, um, I've been on a lot of hunts where at the checks, they'll have what's called a whoopee wagon, which I'm a big fan of where they'll have refreshments and snacks, um, 
on longer hunt days, it's really nice too when you've been out for a couple of hours at the checks. The whoopee wagon will bring refreshments, so you can kind of get revived. And then when the the master of the huntsman decide to end the day's meet, and the huntsman gathers the hounds, the field follows in and follows the huntsman and the master's home. So that is the field. Da da da. Everybody's got a, a place and everybody in its place. There we go. All right. Absolutely. All right. Okay. It's time for our next guest. So I'm excited to have Angela Murray, um, MFH master and huntsman for Red Rock Hounds. And Angela is here to tell us, um, we're just a couple weeks late, but I still really wanted you to tell us all about your opening. And then because we're in the season of what I like to call Corona apocalypse, I know you've done some special planning and, um, accommodations to, uh, to make, you know, the season successful. So tell us about it. We, um, had to modify. We were supposed to have a big 40th anniversary celebration at the end of the season. Didn't get to have that. Um, but we decided to go ahead and have a kickoff Labor Day weekend, get people out hunting early. And it was a huge success. We had a great turnout, about 75 to 80 people. We did it. We hunted on Friday, had a hunter pace on Saturday, followed by a Kentucky party, which was super fun. That was running that weekend. And then Sunday, hunted again, had our blessing of the hounds and opened. And then Sunday night, we stole an idea. We have a wonderful thing here called Art, uh, our Pops on the River, which is the Reno Philharmonic. And they do a big dinner party on the Truckee River here. And we stole the concept from them to give everybody a table, let you buddy up with your coronavirus friends that you're already cooking and eating with, and then come up with a theme and a costume and make the table up and whatnot. It turned out to be a great idea. It was very inexpensive for people to do. And we had a puppy auction and raised some good money for the hounds while we were doing it. So that that seemed like a great success. And it's been really fun talking to other masters around the country about everybody thinking out of the box, how to get people out hunting and still let people feel as comfortable as they can at their level of um, comfort with the situation. Yeah, that's I mean, it's 75 to 80 people is pretty impressive for, and it was kind of warm, right? Like this is, a, it's an earlier opening for you than normal, right? Is that? It is. So we thought we might right. as well just do it on a long weekend and invite everybody. It was pretty warm, but we had two great days of hunting. So we got lucky there and uh, two good, good uh, viewed coyotes on both days. Super fun weekend. I think that we're going to have to just continue thinking out of the box in everything that we do for the next, for the rest of the season at every hunt in every part of the country. Yeah. I mean, and it's, you know, one of the advantages I think we have as horseback riders and specifically as fox hunters is we're outdoors and it's pretty easy to stay six feet away from someone considering how large our horses are. So I think that, your ideas and, you know, I had some friends who came up for your opening and I thought the, the, the dinner event where you had people kind of plan their own meal and bring their own food. I thought that was a really fun idea. Um, and people really seemed to like it. We, we had more people say, please don't ever have a hunt ball. We love that. Don't make us go to a hunt ball. Let us go to that because they got to go crazy. I mean, we had Alice in Wonderland. We had an amazing competition of costumes, food, designs, people went all out, but I think they felt a real like 
safe environment because they were only eating with people they'd been eating with before. It wasn't a buffet where 80 people were eating out of the trough. So I think it was a, a much more comfortable way to handle it. We are trying to implement best practices with our hunt breakfast as well. It's fairly difficult. Um, you can, I mean, unless you want to just eat sandwiches every day, which is what we eat a lot of, (laughs) but it's, I mean, I think we're all just going to have to continue to brainstorming to continue to, our biggest thing is we want everybody to operate at their own comfort level. If you feel comfortable participating, come. If you only feel comfortable participating in the writing portion of it, come and do that and excuse yourself for breakfast. There's no... Pressure. Uh, oh, yeah, no pressure to feel like, oh, well, they, you didn't stay for breakfast, so now we're, you're, you know, we're offended. No one cares. We just want everybody to come and enjoy what they feel is okay for their circumstances at home or their personal circumstances with their own health. Yeah, and and you're getting, you know, what what is the re- reception you're getting from your members or the feedback you're getting from your members? We've had really, really good response. We're we're pretty warm still. We're very smoky right now. Yeah. We're pretty warm so that we are, I mean, we're still hunting in polos. So it's not like it's cold and we need to be in the clubhouse sitting around the fire. You know, I commend you for doing that and, give you know, working hard to give your members the opportunity to come out and go hunting and enjoy the sport that they love at the level to which they're they're comfortable with being around other people. And, you know, being... One of the fun things about fox hunting, and I think that regardless of where you are in the country, you have that malleability, be it weather or now with Corona, to really shift and kind of change your plan based on what people are comfortable with. So I I think that that's awesome. You know, what's going to be your hunt ball solution? What's going to be your, I don't know, your holiday party solution? It's going to be any sort of big gathering can we modify? We're, I mean, we're looking at, okay, for our Christmas party, we have a big landowner's Christmas party in December. We're like, okay, I think we're just going to rent a tent so that that way we can expand instead of, okay, you're either in the club room, which takes 150 people about five seconds to fill up or, or you're standing outside in the freezing cold. So I think it, you know, we may have to incur some additional expenses. Hunts may, masters may have to step up. Right. And we may have to forego some things. I mean, I don't, you know, we may have to do a little both and, but I think just that you said it, you hit the nail on the head with malleability. We have to be flexible. We have to be malleable. And I think we just have to be grateful that we can get out there and share this great sport. And that we're very lucky because we have uh, so much public land that hasn't been impacted. In fact, it's crazy busy because that's one of the places that everybody can go and play. People are right. camping and, and, uh, dirt bike riding and riding their side by sides. And it's really fun to see them all out there. So, and I say this about, you know, I work in human resources professionally and I I think that fox hunting is going to be one of those things that, I mean, there's a lot of stuff that I think a year from now, I think that Corona is going to have pushed people out of their comfort zone in a lot of ways that I think a lot of hunts are going to modernize their, their traditions and whatnot that, may make this sport more attractive to more people. So, and Red Rock's been doing that for years. So, well, that was a great conversation with Angela. And I, I, you know, this is not an easy time for huntsmen and masters to, you know, they're faced with a difficult situation of, you know, trying to appease their membership and provide good sport and, and, you know, entertainment to an extent, as well as 
acknowledging the fears and the concerns that people have that are legitimate related to COVID. So I think what Red Rock is doing is fantastic. And I, I'm excited to follow along through the season and see how they, you know, you know, are malleable and change, change yeah. things to accommodate people. Yeah. So I, I love that they're being, and she mentioned it several times, they're not being judgmental. If you're comfortable with it, that's great. And we're, we're within guidelines and you're comfortable. If you're not, that's fine. We're not judging. Find something that you are comfortable with and it, it's okay if, you know, and that, that's great. I love that the fox hunting community is embracing that whole concept of do what's comfortable for you. And they do that all the time, even when we're not having COVID. Yep. yep. <laughs> if you're Absolutely. comfortable jumping, jump. If you're not comfortable jumping, don't. <laughs> and that's what, you know, I always say that to, you know, cause I think people new to the sport who haven't been around it always are really kind of concerned about wearing the right outfit and mm -hmm. having the right tack and any five ninety five percent of the hunts out there just want you out there. They don't care about the nitty gritty details, especially the first few times you go. And yeah. so they're going to make it comfortable and accommodating and pleasurable and do everything they can to make sure you have a good time. So go. that's a good place to wind it up. A really big show. That was a lot of fun. I got, I got Tara talking, which I always like because she's such a wealth of knowledge about fox hunting and a big thank you to the folks at daily dose equine for helping to bring this show to you. You can find out more about Daily Dose Equine's non-GMO horse feeds at dailydoseequine.com. You can also find them online at chewy.com. That's where you order it. You get free shipping if you order over 50 bucks. That's not hard to do at chewy.com. So check it out today. But Tara, the wealth of knowledge about fox hunting, can be found on Instagram. She is TN Tibbets, and it's TN Tibbets with two Bs and two Ts and just one S. Are you on other stuff besides Instagram? Yeah. Well, Facebook. Yeah, you're on Facebook. And you can always find her on the auditor's room because our auditors are cool people. And if you're not an auditor yet, you need to become one. You just go to horsesinthemorning.com and look for the auditor button there. and It'll explain it all right there. And you can find links to today's guests and topics at horsesinthemorning.com, episode 2521. You can follow Horses in the Morning on Facebook. Just search for Horses in the Morning. And you can have all of the Horse Radio Network shows with you wherever you go on the free app for iPhone and Android. Just go onto your app store and search for Horse Radio Network. Good night. <laughs> <laughs>